Okay. Does anyone know anyone who is stubborn? <laughs> anyone live with anyone who's stubborn? Anyone marry someone stubborn? Don't answer that one. <laughs> oh, you didn't lift your hand, wife. That's quite good. Oh, that's a bit inconsistent, though. Yeah, yeah. You're like, I don't need to lift my hand. He knows. <laughs> it seems to me, and, and maybe to you, it's like every day we turn on the news, we see a world that is becoming more and more divided, polarized, us and them, black and white, left or right, right or wrong. It's like you're either for me or you're against me. For most of us, we have all sorts of different beliefs on the things of life, some seemingly more important than others. I want to do a quick quiz. Let's just see where we sit on a few things, okay? I'm going to ask you to pop up your hand for either yes, I agree, or no, I don't, or I just don't really care, okay? So as I present it, decide, yep, I agree, no, I don't, or don't really care, and lift your hand as I say so. Okay, you ready? Pineapple on pizza. Yes. Look at that. Hands down. No. We'll pray for you. Hands down. And I just don't really care. Okay, good. There's a mixed bunch, as I expected. How about reducing speed limits on all of our roads, which seems to be happening? Hands up for yes. Okay. Don't be laughing at each other. Hands up for no. (laughs) The speedsters. And hands up for, I don't really care. Cool. How about free healthcare for people, free access to healthcare for people paid for by our taxes? Hands up for yes. Okay. Hands up for no. Hands up for, I just don't really care. I haven't thought about it. Yep. Okay, one more. There should be higher tax rates for the more wealthy. Hands up for yes. Okay, hands up for no. That's interesting. Hands up for, I don't care. (laughs) You're like, it doesn't apply to me anyway. (laughs) (laughs) The challenge that each one of us face is that we have to decide just how important our beliefs and our convictions are. And there's a distinct difference between belief and conviction. See, whether pineapple belongs on pizza or not, doesn't really matter. It's not a game changer. But how we treat the vulnerable and how we deal with violent crime, well, those things might be a whole lot more important. See, most of us believe something about everything, but only a few things elevate to the point of conviction. Uh, I want to read this out to you. David Gibbs, who's from the Junior Christian Law Association from Cleveland, Ohio, he made this distinction. This is in America, but hear this out. He says, The difference between a conviction and a preference, according to the U.S. Supreme Court, a preference is a very strong belief held with great strength. You can give your entire life in a full-time way to the service of the preference and can also give your entire material wealth in the name of the belief. You can also energetically proselytize, that's like try to convert people, uh, to your preference. You can want to teach this belief to your children, and the Supreme Court may still rule that it's a preference. A preference is a strong belief, but a belief that you will change under the right circumstances. Circumstances such as peer pressure. So if your beliefs are such that other people must stand with you before you'll stand, your beliefs are preferences, not convictions. Other pressures like family pressure, lawsuits, jail, or the threat of death. Would you die for your beliefs? A conviction is a belief that you will not change. Why? A man believes his God requires it of him. Preferences aren't protected by the Constitution. Convictions are. A conviction is not something that you discover. It is something that you purpose in your heart. And then he quotes Daniel chapter 1, verse 2 to 3, where Daniel determined in his heart not to defile the Lord by not eating the wrong thing. So this is a, a Christian guy. He quotes that or references it rather, and then he finishes by saying, convictions on the inside will always show up on the outside in a person's lifestyle. To violate a conviction would be a sin. Conviction. 
where a man believes in his heart that God requires it of him. That's pretty serious to believe that God would require it of you. I think of the disciples that didn't just believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They were convicted by it. They were willing to die for their conviction. See, most people might stand in the face of opposition for their beliefs. Others might endure ridicule and persecution. But not many people would hold firm to their belief to the point of death if they weren't absolutely certain and 100%. Or perhaps if that belief was not so critical that they felt like it was worth uh, potentially dying uh, for it. The disciples were so convicted that they knew their God required it of them. Like, I'm confident that pineapple on pizza is a gift from God, but I'm not going to die in defense of it. And I'm not going to let it come between me and a friend. I don't believe anyone should be drinking Earl Grey tea, not a single person. And yet Darcy and I have a box of it at our house for when Shemaine comes to visit. A conviction becomes a stake in the ground for you. A conviction is, an un- is uncompromisable and therefore a conviction can cause disagreement offense and distance between you and others. And when it does, it's kind of like, so be it. This sounds admirable. It sounds strong. It sounds confident and sure. And while it's absolutely vital that we hold convictions, don't hear me wrong. We, we, we should definitely hold strong convictions in our life. I think the world is far too quick to create convictions out of beliefs. We have to be really careful and calculate what we'll hold as convictions because they will absolutely create divide. They create separation because there's no budging on them. There's no compromise. The more of those things we have, the more room there is for conflict and division. See, the definition of conflict is a state of being free from doubt. Like not just a small amount of doubt, free from doubt. No doubt whatsoever, absolutely convinced, commit my life to it, stand on it, maybe cause division between me and other people. Like it's a stake in the ground. It's serious. It's something that you feel your God requires of you. Maybe you've heard this quote. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. I think that's true. I think we should stand for things. Otherwise, we get wrapped into all sorts of lies that are around us. We don't know which way to go. We have no anchor. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. I think that's true. But if we're not careful and we go too far, this will also be true. If you stand for everything, you'll fall out with everyone. Our world would love to have you believe that standing for what you believe in is the most admirable trait of a strong person. And there's definitely some truth to that. But the Bible also has some other views on just how strongly we should hold certain beliefs. And this morning, my message is going to look quite different. Usually, I would present something and you'd have three nice, clean points to take away and apply to your life. It's not going to look like that today. I want us to unpack an entire passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it to you, and then I want us to go back through it kind of like verse by verse, one or two verses at a time. I want to share some thoughts, and I'm praying that God would challenge you, He would encourage you, and convict you um, to live a life more according to His Word. Is that cool? So to start with, I want to read the whole passage of Scripture. Uh, Sorry, graphics team, I don't have this all together. I've split it up for the sake of our unpacking. So I'll just read it out to you, and then after that, we're going to go through it, and it will come on the screen. Okay, so just listen carefully. This is Romans, my favorite book, chapter 14, from verse 12 to 23. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble or fall. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with that, with what you're doing, but keep it between you and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it, for you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Cool? Amazing passage of Scripture, isn't it? There's a whole lot in there. Let's make our way through it, starting in verse 12 and 13. Let me read it to you one more time, share some thoughts. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead, everyone say instead. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble or fall. So essentially it's saying spend far less time judging others and condemning others and spend more time thinking about how you're living your life. Jesus addresses this in Matthew 7 verse 3, right? He says, you're so concerned with the speck in your brother's eye that you don't even notice the log in your own. He's like, oh, you want to focus on the speck, on the shortfallings of those around you, but you can't even see the log or the plank in your own eye. He says, don't, don't be mixed up on this. You are ultimately responsible for the account that you will give for your own life. Right? You don't get to give an account for somebody else's life as much as we wish we did. We only get to give an account for our own life. So be careful not to get caught up in passing judgment on others. What a shame it would be to be so concerned and distracted by how others are living their life that you never took a moment to reflect on how you are living your life, how you are being a representative and an ambassador for Christ. Romans 14 verse 14. He says, I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. This is interesting, right? Don't interpret this incorrectly. Paul is not saying that there are different rules for different people. Because it sounds like the standard of right and wrong is decided within. Like if it's right for me, it's right for me. And if it's wrong for me, it's wrong for me. But what he's saying is that he's had a personal revelation that has directed the way that he lives his life. And others may not have had that personal revelation yet. See, acting in good conscience is paramount to living an obedient life. God plays the long game with us. And so while something might be really obvious to you, it might not be obvious to other people yet. That's because... God has revealed it to you, not because you're smart, intelligent, witty, insightful. You may be all of those things, but when something is obvious to you in terms of the things of God, it's because God has revealed it to you. And maybe someone else in their part of their journey hasn't had that revealed to them just yet. Paul says that he is convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus. Strong claim. In other words, he knows what Jesus has to say about the matter, and he understands what those words mean for his life. Others around us might not. And that's okay. He's convinced by God that his stance is correct, but being correct is far less important than being kind and considerate. See, if someone believes it is wrong and does it, it is sin. That's what the Bible says. If you in your own heart believe it is wrong and you do it, it is sin. Therefore, we must consider our beliefs to be correct until we are adequately corrected. Right? He's saying you've got to listen to your inner voice. You've got to trust your conscience. You've got to listen to the nudging of the Holy Spirit. You've got to believe that it's correct unless you were adequately corrected. We have to trust our convictions but never give up exploring the accuracy of them. See, the danger here is if we make a call, we become convicted, we put our stake in the ground so deep that we're never willing to move it. 
This sounds like strength and resilience in the face of hard times, but really, if we're honest, it's just pride. But let me clarify a few things because there are essential beliefs to the Christian faith that we do need to hold. You need to believe these in order to be a Christian. Now, I'm not telling you what you have to believe. I'm just telling you, you can't be a rugby player if you don't play rugby, right? Like, that's just how it works. You can believe what you like, each to their own, like, you live your own life. But to be a Christian, you've got to hold these fundamental beliefs. These are core in the very definition of what it means to be a Christian. Things like the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Like, it's, like explore it, sure, but it's not up for debate in terms of if you want to be a Christian. The second coming of Jesus. The deity of Jesus, which is like his Godness, his, his divine nature, that he is not just the Son of God, but he is also God himself. The Trinity, God as three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the divine and infallible nature of Scripture, which means that everything that is clearly stated in Scripture can be held as foundational. To these things, there is no compromise. These must be a stake in the ground that we build our Christian life off of. But hear this next thing, because this is really, really important. Everything else should not cause division among us. There are a lot of things for us to agree on, a lot of things for us to disagree on, agree to disagree on, but everything else should not cause divide among us. Speaking in tongues, people have different thoughts. What is it? When do you do it? Should you only do it when there's an interpreter? Is it the evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Is it one of the evidences of being baptized in the Holy Spirit? I know what I believe, but I'm probably wrong on some of it. You may know what you believe, but you're probably wrong on some of it. Things like our belief on drinking alcohol, maybe parenting styles, political affiliation. Christians should not be divided because they vote for different parties. You know what? It just means we see things differently. But far more important than that, I assure you, far more important than that is that we are united together by Christ. That's far more important than the way we see different elements of how society should run. He unites us together. Christians who vote for different parties are still on the same team. I just felt like that needed to be said today. We are a year out from the election. I have no interest in any way whatsoever on telling you who to vote for because whatever you vote, however you vote, we're united in Christ. And that's actually what matters far more. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not we all have to fall in line with each other or what the pastor says. We should all fall in line with the word. Like there should be uniformity in our commitment to it. But the way we unpack it and explore it and have things revealed to us over time is going to look different because we're all at different parts of our journey. One of the most destructive black marks on the Christian witness is the disunity among us. We absolutely should hold different views on things, but be very careful that not everything becomes an immovable stake in the ground. See, Paul's conviction had its foundation in the Word. He was convinced on the authority of Jesus. So whether it was written down or not at this stage doesn't matter because we read in John 1 that Jesus himself is the Word and the Word was at the beginning and everything was created through him and for him and by him. So if you can't build your conviction on the Word, it probably shouldn't be a conviction. You can believe it. Just be very careful with how tightly you hold to that belief if you can't back it up with the Word. See, a conviction is not a conclusion that we make personally based on what we think is right or wrong. It's not based on what current culture says is right or wrong, but it must be true to His Word and prompted by the Holy Spirit. And this is interesting, that not all convictions are universal. Like some will be just for you in your journey. God will speak to you about refraining from things, about acting in a certain way, living in a certain way, and that's actually just for you and not for other people. 
2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. That is a powerful Scripture, isn't it? The Word is useful for teaching, instructing, and helping us to know right from wrong. You know what we wish it said? That the Word is useful for encouraging and making me feel good and affirming my messiness. Like, that's what we wish it said. We are all on this big, beautiful pursuit of truth. And we're not all going to get it right all of the time. You know, when I first became a Christian as a 20-year-old, um, sort of got snapped out of a, a, a non-Christian lifestyle, uh, which is usually what happens when you become a Christian, right? Um, I, I remember at the time not submitting myself to this idea. Like, I was all for Jesus. Like, I was in the church. I didn't want to submit myself to the idea that sex before marriage was a bad thing. I just didn't believe it in my heart. I think I didn't want to believe it in my heart. But as I was exposed to this beautiful God that loved me and would give everything to me, I was reading the Word and I was fascinated and I was, I was open to His teaching. I was open to the Word. I was open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And over time, that view of mine changed as I matured and learned what the Word stated as abundantly clear. So now that I can see that it's clear in Scripture, I hold to that conviction. See, things can change over time. Holding convictions and beliefs requires humility so that we don't become militant. We still have to have grace for people around us. Oh, just close my app. How good? Going back, it says, but if someone believes it is wrong, for that person it is wrong. Don't get this confused with if someone believes it is right, for that person it is right. That's very different. It still has to line up with God's word. I want to try and clarify this a little bit. There are things that God steers us clear of personally that might not be super clear in Scripture. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows where the traps are that are going to catch you out. And the Holy Spirit is always speaking to us, convicting us, changing us. He gives us different lanes to run in. Have you noticed that there's some people very passionate about certain things? And naturally, they get a bit wound up when others aren't as passionate about the same things. It's because God has placed that on their heart specifically. It's not that it's not important, but He needs people to have different focuses. But he doesn't give special license to people to ignore his word. So for some, there's the extras on top personalized to you because he knows you. But for others, it's not like, oh, yeah, but I don't have the conviction to uh, not swear. So like, I'm not going to live that way. Cool. That's fine. But the word of God states that clearly. And so therefore, we should all be submitted to convictions that are clear in God's word. Now, does that mean that we all have different standards to live by? Yep. You might say, Frosty, you've got some explaining to do now. Hear me out. God's heart for us is exactly the same, but his expectation of us resembles the season we're in. There are not different rules, but he's working on you, separate from how he's working on somebody else. He has the same goal. The goal is the same for all of us. What is it? It's Christ-likeness, that we would represent Christ with our lives. Some of us are just far closer to that than others. And those that think they're close are probably way further than they realize. <laughs> Don't think, though, that we can walk around abusing that privilege, though. You know where you're at in your journey. Uh, you know, as a dad, I expect Boston to be respectful and courteous. He's like 16 months. But when he looks me in the eye, in his high chair, he holds his food over the edge <laughs> of the tray and drops it to the ground without ever breaking eye contact. While he's being cheeky and he's exploring boundaries, he's not being disrespectful or nasty. He's a baby. Now, when he's 12, I won't accept that. 
And a 12-year-old might say, that's not fair. I thought the rules were we weren't allowed to throw our food on the ground and the baby's doing it. The fact that you understand that means, yes, you're not allowed. The fact that you've had that revelation and you realize that that is appropriate and you understand the reason why, yep, that responsibility is now on you. But as a baby, he doesn't understand. And so we have grace for his journey. He is younger in his journey, and so his life will look different. And as he matures, he's going to become more obedient and Christ-like in Jesus' name and not do that. (laughs) Let me summarize that like this. Every Christian should hold convictions that are clearly taught in God's word. That's why we have his word, to instruct us, to guide us, to transform us. But on top of that, God sometimes gives us personalized ones that are for us to carry and not necessarily for others. Romans chapter 14, verse 15. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. I read this. I thought, that's serious? Don't let your eating cost someone their salvation. Like, that's pretty extreme. Like, when someone eats microwaved canned fish around me, it's going to cost both of us our salvation. (laughs) That's unacceptable. We used to have an intern that would come and sit on the step of our office with her microwaved hot fish, and we both hate fish, and she'd just just sit there. I'm trapped. Ah, please. (laughs) Being considerate of the spiritual needs of others is far more important than our own preferences or beliefs. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, and you, you are not acting in love if you eat it, don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Darcy and I love watching The Block. Uh, we've been watching it for, for many years. The Australian one's way better than the New Zealand one, but uh, we've been watching it a few episodes behind, and we, so don't tell me what happens. Um, we were watching an episode the other day, and there's this moment where all the contestants come together, and they're having a bit of a dinner party, and they're all chatting, and they're laughing, and whatever. And this one, and they're talking about like bad painting. And this one contestant, this lady, she chirps in and she goes, <laughs> we all know Sharon and Uncle have the worst painting in the whole block. <laughs> and like it really offended these contestants because obviously, right? She's like, she pointed it out to everyone. These guys have the worst painting. Now, these contestants were a bit offended. They walked away. They had a moment. It was a bit of an ordeal. And when this lady was confronted about the mean remark she had said, she defended it. She just said, I just say it as it is. I call a spade a spade. That's interesting. The Bible says that even a fool seems wise when he says nothing. Just because you think it, guess what? You don't have to say it. That's quite a powerful tool that you have. People defend this idea that if they are at peace with it, it doesn't matter if others aren't. And living life with a portion of I don't care what other people think is really healthy. Like I've got a good portion of it. Just not when it comes to what they think about God. What other people think about God as a result of the way that you and I live our life is one of the greatest responsibilities we've been entrusted with. You don't get to make decisions for people. Like ultimately that's on them, but we have been given the task of leading people well. If someone is offended or upset at the fact that I believe Jesus is the only way to find salvation and I'm loving in the way that I present that, then yeah, I am at peace even if somebody isn't because the gospel can seem offensive to those that have a closed off heart. But if I hold a certain belief on something like drinking alcohol or watching scary movies or anything else that might lead someone else astray or cause them to stumble, the Bible is clear that I should shut up about it. In fact, not only should I shut up about it, but if I'm around them, I should actually refrain from participating in that for the good of the other person. Let me give you an example. I am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that I can have a beer or drink a glass of wine at home. 
I'm at peace with that and I have freedom to do it. But I immediately lose that freedom if I'm around someone who would think ill of me as a pastor or my church or the God that I serve. Maybe someone who's recently recovered from a drinking problem is around me. Now, pride would say, well, I'm not going to stop. That's their issue, and it's all good with me. You might say, for me, it's not sin. Yes, but it is for them and their part of their journey. And, the, and it's clear. I want, I want to go back up to that verse. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. And we're not just talking about eating, right? We understand we're talking about anything that would lead someone astray. Jesus says this in Matthew 18, verse 5 to 6. He says, And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. It's pretty vivid, Jesus. What's Jesus saying? He's saying leading others astray is a direct violation of the responsibility of your salvation. Leading others astray is a direct violation of the responsibility you have now as someone who has been saved by the grace of God. Romans 14, verse 16 to 17. says, Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not about living a life that's focused on our own satisfaction and fulfillment, but rather of goodness, peace, and joy. Therefore, the kingdom of God is not about what we get to do. It's about how we treat people. It's actually how, about how we love those around us. Church, let's make sure we're fighting the right battles out there. There are absolutely some battles that are worth fighting. Most, people, most things are just worth discussing. Not everything has to be a battle. You know, the most important things in life actually unite us. Of course we're going to hold different beliefs from other good quality people. That's a healthy thing. Don't just get sucked into the thinking of thinking that they're either for you or against you. They can actually just be for you but think differently. They can be on your side but see things from a different perspective. It's been said like this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Let me translate. In essentials, in core beliefs, in the things that matter most in life, Unity, oneness, same page. It's not really compromise on those things. In non-essentials, the other things, still important, just not as central, not as core, not as crucial. Other things that are important and worth going after, there's liberty, there's freedom. We can explore, we can wrestle with those things together. But in all of those things, it's charity, it's love. Our approach to all of those things is love. You know, my heart is to see us as a church that are in each other's corner, that we have each other's back that we keep the main things the main things and we wrestle and discover the peripheral things together. Verse 18 to 21 in, of course, Romans 14. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. It's saying it is better to live your life where you make sacrifices that result in the encouragement and healthy guidance of others. The steps of those who are young in their faith are our responsibility, not theirs. I think of when Boston was starting to learn to walk. What a time. And 
we've got hardwood floors in our house and, you know, we've got like a few blankets on the couch, just get comfortable and sometimes they'll be on the floor. Now, I'll pick those blankets up off the floor when he was learning to walk. Now, what I could do is I could just be like, wow, it's all good on the floor. I'm not going to slip on it. I'm not an idiot, right? And it's my house, so I do what I want. I'm at peace with leaving the blanket on the floor. Now, when Boston waddles over, slips on it, hits the ground like a sack of potatoes and busts his lip because he hasn't figured out how to navigate that terrain yet, that's on me, not on him. I want us to be a people that are courteous and gracious and kind and sacrificial in the way that we help those around us navigate the different terrains of life and faith. Romans 14, 22 to 23. This is our last portion. And uh, Exton, you can join me on keys. It'll be awesome. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning. If you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. It's interesting because like I read that and I'm like, okay, so ultimately that conviction is still from within me. Like if I'm doing something that I've become resolute in, I've taken it to God, it lines up with his word, I'm at peace with it, then it's all good. But if I, for whatever reason in my conscience, in my heart, feel like it's probably not good or I'm not sure if it's good, I'm not sure and I do it, then I'm sinning. So it sort of comes from, from within me. And so when I read that, if I could kind of summarize it, it sounds to me like if you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, you're sinning. If you aren't trusting your inner voice, if you aren't honing your ability to define your convictions and step up in bravery to live according to them, then perhaps for you that is sin. You know, for me, there are three main pictures or themes that come out of this passage of Scripture that we've just walked our way through. Firstly, that we each need to know what we believe and why. Have peace in your heart that if God has given you authority and if it lines up with His Word, you can hold that belief and engage in that behavior with a clear conscience. But secondly, if it's a core fundamental belief of the Christian faith, unless it's a core fundamental of the Christian faith, you must be willing to sacrifice things for the encouragement and positive guidance of others. Your preferences are not as important as the faith journey of those around you. And thirdly, fight for unity rather than for personal freedom or liberty. We're not acting in love if we do something that causes others to stumble. Harmony and peace are the goal, not living your truth. I would love to pray for us in just a moment. That maybe as I've been speaking, and I realize this is a slightly harder message to listen to, but I love that. I love that God's Word actually meets us where we're at and it highlights things to each of us. Maybe we've each been separately convicted of different things. That's a good thing. You might feel like being defensive about that. I'm not sure, but God is gracious. He's trustworthy and He wants to lead you through this.